As parents, we are all juggling busy households. Sometimes life gets a little messy, and that's why I love Home Threads, the perfect blend of comfort and style for your lively household. Home Threads has everything you need to make your house a little more peaceful in our chaotic world. At HomeThreads.com, find furniture that's resilient as your family. From pieces that stand the test of time to kid-friendly organizing and storage solutions, we've got the essentials to turn your mess into a masterpiece, all at the best value. I have received some pots and pans, some pillows, and a beautiful lamp, and I can say I truly love the value, and they just look great in my home, and I enjoy them so much. So thank you, Home Threads. Head on over to HomeThreads.com forward slash mess and get a code for 15% off your first order today. Because life's messy, but your home doesn't have to be. Home Threads, where style meets the everyday mess. Home Threads, love where you live. Hey guys, this is Cynthia Ganoff, host of Pardon the Mess. Parenting can get messy and that's why we're glad you're with us. Each week we have honest discussions with our guests about the ups and downs of parenting and the lessons God is teaching us along the way. It's fun, it's real, and it's biblical. We put our trust in a God who rescripts our mess into His greater message. That's the best parenting news we could ask for. Join us each week on Pardon the Mess as we walk the parenting road together. Hey guys, this is Cynthia. Welcome to Pardon the Mess today. I am glad you are with us and we are talking marriage. And listen, there ain't nothing we need to be talking about more right now than marriage having been in COVID for a while. Does anybody hear me? Are you following me? We've had a lot of together time and it's been good and I've enjoyed so much time with my family and my husband, but it just struck me that we do need to probably dust off some of the things we already know, but need to be reminded of when it comes to marriage. And so Bob Lapine is with me today. He has a book called Love Like You Mean It, The Heart of a Marriage That Honors God. And he talks a lot about just how love is action, not emotion. And we go through some of 1 Corinthians 13 and what it looks like to be patient and kind. And he's got a good practical word for all of us, but also one that is full of grace. And so I'm excited for us to talk about our marriages. Take a minute, listen to this. It'll give you good thoughts like it did for me and the ways that I need to make some adjustments in our marriage, not just for my marriage, but also for my kids who are watching my marriage. It's funny sometimes when I hear things come out of my kid's mouth. It's obviously so clearly me, which I know y'all have the same experience, but sometimes when I hear some of their reactions towards their dad and I realize they're reacting how I react, then it's just downright convicting. So always good to think about it, brush up on it, and really um, do the maintenance, the hard work, the things that sustain our marriages. So I'm so glad to have Bob with us today. Here we go. Hey, Bob, welcome to Pardon the Mess. How are you? I'm good, Cynthia. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. How's Little Rock? Yeah, Little Rock is uh, is hot like every place else right now, I guess. Or I say every place else, at least every place else in our part of the world, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, Dallas is steaming, but but we're getting by. So that's the good news. So you wrote a book that caught my eye on marriage. And I know that you have a ministry and a radio ministry and you preach and all kinds of things. And this uh, kind of crossed my mind, love like you mean it the heart of a marriage that honors God. And it just kind of spoke into me the importance of marriage. And this isn't funny, although I did chuckle when I read it months ago, but back in like March or April, I read an article how marriages in China were not doing well. The divorce rate was up so much. Now, that was long before, Bob, we were living that reality. Right. And I was like, bless their hearts. And now um, 
what are we in four months into five months into COVID? I'm like, Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense now. doesn't it? Now I get it. And so I just want to talk to you generally about marriage and obviously what God's word has to say to our marriage, um, just in the context of parenting and otherwise, that if somebody just happened upon our podcast today, or maybe it's someone that listens to it all the time, but wasn't expecting us to be speaking on marriage, if they were just going to catch the very beginning of it, I was going to ask you one question. How would you answer this? What's the best advice you can give us just straight out of the chute on how to have a godly marriage? Mm. Well, I, I think maybe in a, in a word, it's intentionality. Uh, most people think that marriage is supposed to just evolve naturally. It's supposed to blossom without a lot of work or a lot of purpose or intentionality given to it. And that's not how it works. We've got to cultivate a marriage the same way the gardener cultivates a garden. You've got to pull the weeds. You've got to tend. You've got to prune. You've got to be purposeful and intentional and you have to work on it. And so if you're expecting your marriage to be a beautiful marriage and low maintenance at the same time, you have an unrealistic expectation. We have to maintain our marriage. And when we do, we can have the kind of marriage that God intends for us to have, which is a glorious marriage that that has that, that is filled with the kind of oneness that he desires for us, the kind of real love that our soul longs for and that glorifies him. Yeah, that's so good. And so a lot of times, you know, we get into marriage and we're into it couple of years, many years. I don't know. My husband and I, Bob, we dated so long. I felt like we'd been married 10 years before we ever got married. But you get into this and at some point you're like, you know what? I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. Uh, or, and you hear that from people, not necessarily my own marriage, but I've heard people say that, or it's not what I thought it would be, or it's not looking the way that marriage is supposed to look. And, and I think you've got a good response when you talk a lot about the difference between emotions and actions in our marriage and what that looks like. Can you, can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, I think one of the reasons that we, we get blindsided in the early years of a marriage is because our expectations are that there will be a certain level of emotional connectedness that is going to be maintained over a long period of time. Often in the dating years, we experience that kind of magnetic pull toward one another. And then we get married and now we're spending more time together. And now it's like somebody flipped the magnet and we're pushing each other apart rather than pulling each other together. And that surprises us. And this is where we have to recognize that you, know, the, you can't build a, a strong marriage on a weak foundation. If the foundation that you're building on is a sandy foundation of emotions and feelings, then you're in for a real ride. But if your marriage is being built on a stable foundation of durable love, that is, that's hardworking love, that's the kind of love that the Bible describes, now you can build the kind of marriage that ultimately will generate the kind of emotion that you're hoping for in a marriage. Uh, from that foundation and from the strong love, we will have a deeper, richer, more durable kind of love stronger emotional connectedness than we will pursuing the Hallmark Channel ideal of, you know, just a superficial surface love. Right, right. And so if we don't, if we maybe have not done the hard work of building that strong foundation, maybe inadvertently or maybe intentionally, or maybe we did some of the hard work a long time ago, but we've let it lapse. Is it too late? If you're in the throes of it, things are not going like you'd hope. You've been with your husband 
36 hours a day during COVID and the foundation's not holding up like you thought, what do you do with that? Well, I'd say it's never too late. And typically what we have to do is we have to replace our our cultural way of thinking about marriage and love with a more biblical, a more durable understanding of this, and then build on that. So most of us come into marriage with with pop songs having taught us what love is supposed to be like and feel like and look like. And yep. so we draw on, you are the wind beneath my wings, or yes. can you feel the love tonight? Or we just got all these pop songs floating in our head and we think this is what real love is. And, and we have to, when we get into those hard moments in marriage, we have to say, okay, that was a faulty foundation. So how do I replace what the culture has been telling me love's supposed to look like with what the Bible tells me love is supposed to be like? And how do I start working on those things? Most of us, Cynthia, when, we, when we're frustrated in marriage, we can easily spot what our partner is not doing, what our spouse is not doing that's causing a frustration. But the Bible tells us we need to be looking at what we're not doing or are doing, what are the things that we can control, how can we contribute to a more enduring, endearing kind of a marriage and love, and start working on that rather than trying to fix whatever we think is broken with our spouse. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, Back to the pop songs for a minute. And Bob, you need to know up front that I will here and there throw out something random you're not going to know what to do with. But I need to go back to that for one second and tell you. At our rehearsal dinner when my husband and I got married 19 years ago, he sang um, a song, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. So I just wanted you to know, apparently he knew what he's getting into. (laughs) There is no wind beneath my wings at our rehearsal dinner. He came in with his eyes wide open, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens, people. When you date too long, your husband already knows. But And so you go through the scripture, which I'm so glad you do, in your book. And just generally, I know you've taught a marriage series on this and other places. But you go to 1 Corinthians 13, which is most of our go-to. We all, we all read it at the wedding or had it read at the wedding. We all affirmatively believe in the precepts of 1 Corinthians 13. Very few of us are actually following through with it, myself included. And so if we just kick off there and we're talking about these foundational places in our marriage, and, and I love that you're saying, like, let's read it from a place of ourselves, because I can read that and be like, well, uh, love is patient. He's not that patient with me sometimes, or love is, you know, but if we're going to come at it from a place of examining ourselves, I think that's a great first start. And so uh, give us a little of the context. I think that's important. The context of what Paul's doing when he kicks off 1 Corinthians 13 and why it's so, so important. That is, I'm so glad that that's where we're starting because so often these verses get yanked out of context and it gets read like love poetry uh, or like it's the inside of a Hallmark card. And we, we have to, I, I've talked, I've called out Hallmark a couple of times here. No offense to the Hallmark people, but. No, we love Candace Cameron. It's all fine. Go on. Yes. But, but these words were written as a rebuke. These were not written to be read as love poetry at a wedding. This was a church. The Corinthian church was a church that was valuing giftedness and performance above love. So what made you popular, what made you important in the Corinthian church was how gifted you were. And Paul in the middle of that says, we all are differently gifted and we all need one another. But then he says, but there's something more important than our giftedness. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I'm going to show you the more important way. And that's where he starts talking about love. And he says, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. If you don't have love, you're nothing. 
Now, he didn't say, if you don't have love, you have less than. He said, if you don't have love, you have nothing. So when we read these these descriptive phrases in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking, all of these things, rather than reading it this way, love is patient, love is kind. Rather than reading it this way, we should read it this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. There's a there's a little bit of a scolding tone that's in these words to kind of wake us up and go, you unloving people, you have not emphasized this. You've thought your giftedness was what's most important. How you love one another is what matters most to God. So let's approach this passage with uh, ready to be rebuked for our lack of love so that we can start to cultivate the kind of love that God wants us to have in a marriage relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, if we were to maybe modern day paraphrase for those of us that are wives or have raising kids or whatever, it might be a little bit too of like, you may be able to fold all the laundry in the house and you can raise three great kids and you can run carpool like a boss. But if you don't love well, You've missed it, right? That's right. You deliver dinner on time on the table. It's great. It's economical. Everybody loves it. But if there's no love, the meal's going to be ruined. And and that's what we've got to recognize. Yeah. The love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. So when we're going to mess up in marriage. If we mess up and there's no love there, there's no shock absorber for the messing up. But when we mess up in marriage or in the family and there's love there, we've got grace, we've got that shock absorber that can keep the relationship from from getting dented and scratched and bruised. Yeah, yeah. And so it kicks right off in here in 1 Corinthians 13, you just kind of mentioned it, but it it talks about just patience. And um, there's so many different areas we could hit that are difficult. But patience is one that comes to mind, especially in the middle of, um, you know, a pandemic. Uh, my patience is waning on all levels, Bob. I, th- I think anyone <laughs> married with kids is like, oh my gosh, what is it's what does patience look like? Because I like how you talk about it's uh, it's it's really active. Like, what what does that look like? Yeah, well, I, I think first of all, it's it's interesting to me that when Paul, the first word he picks to describe love, is patience. Yeah, uh, love is patient. I mean, if you put a hundred people in a room and said, okay, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about love? patient would probably not be at the top of most of our list. We value patience. We think it's important. But when we think about love, we would say love is romance or love is intimacy or love is, is, you know, there's the old love is cartoon. You may be old enough to remember where love is a walk on the beach and love is a kiss in the moonlight. Well, Paul says, no, love is long suffering. That's the old King James term for patience. Love's that's not that's not romantic, Bob. <laughs> no, nobody wants to hear this, but that's where the rebuke comes in. Love yeah. is when we, uh, when, when we purpose to endure and to stay with and to give grace in the midst of challenging circumstances. That's why when we got married, somebody suggested that we should say to one another, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, we should we should say now, we know things are going to get hard. When they get hard, I will still love you. I will still be here. I'm not going anywhere. I will endure this with you. And that's what patience is. It is suffering long. Now, I have to be quick here, Cynthia, to make sure that, that listeners understand we're not talking about enduring physical abuse over and over again. Right. 
relationship. We're not talking about enabling someone who is cruel and abusive. You are not loving another person if you enable their sinful behavior against you. You need to, in love, confront them, get help for them, call the police if you need to call the police. So when we talk about long-suffering, we're not talking about you should hide the bruises that you're getting in your marriage relationship. But I think when when, when Paul says love is long-suffering, when he says love is patient, it means that we're not easily triggered. We're not, we don't, our, our switch doesn't get flipped easily because somebody said something that that we just get exasperated in. We, we give grace to one another. We, here's, here's the verse I come back to. It's Proverbs 19.11 that says, it's a man's glory to overlook a transgression. Hmm. So love is patient means that in those little ways that we annoy or sin against or get on one another's nerves in a marriage relationship, that it would easy, it'd be easy for us to go, I don't deserve this. This, you're not treating me right. Love is patient says, I'm going to overlook a transgression. I'm going to extend grace. You were a little short with me this morning, you know, and, and I don't deserve that, but you've got a lot on your mind and I know things are stressful for you. And I can, I can bear that. I can, I can endure that and I can be patient with you. When that's the, the oil or the lubricant in our marriage, everything functions a whole lot better. Bob, have you found a proverb that allows me to justify keeping track of the wrongs in my head? <laughs> because uh, I, I feel like I'm probably not alone. And maybe I feel like I'm patient and that I don't bring it up every time. But I do have the tally marks sometimes. And I joke uh I, I love my husband. We have a great marriage, but that I think the reality is a lot of us are that way. I was just hoping you had a proverb that would give me a little bit of an out for that, but I'm guessing not. I could make a lot of money if I could come up <laughs> with that proof text for people. But sadly, this whole, this whole definition of love includes this statement. Paul says that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Well, so, that's too bad. Was Paul married? <laughs> Paul, wouldn't we go back and forth on this? What's going on here, Bob? <laughs> I don't think he was married, so we may go, yeah, yeah, you just don't know what yeah. you're doing. But no. just have to think about keeping a record of wrongs. That's toxic in a relationship. When we store away and when we allow a root of bitterness to develop in our heart because we keep meditating on how somebody has wronged us, rather than doing the hard work of pursuing peace in a marriage relationship and resolving conflict, real love uh, does that. It reaches out to try to resolve things rather than just hanging on to and harboring the wrongs that have been done against us. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes on to talk about love being kind. And that's an interesting one because I think most of us would think we're generally kind to, to our spouses, but, but there's more to it than that. And I don't know necessarily that we are. What, what, how do you feel like that's applicable in our marriages? I think when we say we, we think we're kind to one another. What we mean is we're polite and we're nice. And that's part of it, but that's, that's much less than the word kindness delegates. It's not just being nice and polite to one another. Kindness is, again, another hardworking word. In fact, this is interesting. In the Old Testament, if you were to look at all of the ways that God is described in the Old Testament, he is holy, he is mighty, he is... Um, he is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. I mean, we've got all of these words that describe him. The word that is used most often to describe God in the Old Testament is the word hesed, the Hebrew word hesed, 
which means loving kindness. So more than 250 times, the Bible says God is a God of loving kindness. And for the Jews, this was a revelation because all of the neighboring tribes, they had their own gods. And nobody thought of their God as being a kind God. Everybody's God was a cruel God, was a, was a God who would bring uh, storms in, into your world if you were not obeying, who would bring plagues and those kinds of things. So for God to reveal himself to the Jews as a God who is abounding in loving kindness was, was a revelation. So the, the Jews kept singing that to God in the Psalms and, and repeating it. Our God is a God of loving kindness. Well, when we understand that that's God, how God is toward us, now we can start to understand that this is more than just being nice and polite. This is about a God who is proactively seeking our good. And that's what kindness is. It's, it's a, a predisposition of the heart to proactively say, my goal is your good, and I will sacrifice myself today in this moment so that you can thrive and so that life can be good for you. That's a kind person who sets their own agenda aside to support you and your agenda. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned in the book, it's lavishly blessing someone. And I thought, what a, what a beautiful picture to lavishly bless someone. I mean, I think, I don't know, lavish, I think spas and I don't know all the ways you can really bless someone, but just doing that in your marriage, what a game changer. If you were lavishly blessing your husband and not only that you're going, that's not going the extra mile. That's what we're biblically called to do and being kind to our spouse. And what, what if we woke up every day and we said, okay, what's one thing I can do today that would be a lavish blessing? One thing I can do, and it does by lavish, we don't mean expensive, and it doesn't have to be time-consuming. It doesn't have to be over the top. But what's what, maybe it's writing a note before you leave and say, I'm so grateful that I'm married to you. That's, that's an act of lavish blessing. That's an act of kindness, proactive goodness toward another person, or looking for ways that we can serve one another in a marriage relationship and sacrifice for one another. If we had just the goal, I'm going to do one thing a day to try to, to demonstrate kindness toward my spouse, I think that would change the character of so many marriages. Oh, absolutely. And, and you also say something I think is very practical. You talk about how we tend to be blind to our rudeness or our irritability, but we're very keenly aware of when we see it in our spouse. Is yeah. that just human nature that we're going to have to fight or how do we work through that? Well, it is human nature. And Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, when he says that we're all really good at seeing the specks in each other's eyes and not seeing the logs in our own eyes. And and his rebuke in that point is you hypocrites, you people who are double-minded and wearing masks, you have to work to take the log out of your own eye before you can help your spouse with the speck in his or her eye. So yeah, how do we get better? We get better in this area by recognizing the logs in our own eye and working on removing the logs in our own eye. So if if we said, rather than focusing on all the things that my spouse is doing or not doing that are annoying or that are problematic for me, if I said, I'm going to turn my focus and say, what is it that I'm doing or not doing that is a problem in our marriage or that that I could adjust and make our marriage better. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to leave my spouse and let God work with him or her on whatever they're working on. But I'll just work on the stuff I can work on. 
that that would go a long way, I think, to trying to reduce some of this irritability that pops up in marriage. Yeah, yeah. And so in a parenting context, I know that we are as parents, especially like today's generation of parents, myself included, but we are willing to do just about anything to give our kids a leg up, right? Like almost to the crazy, the crazy side of things. And, um, you know, we're going to get them in the best sports and the best schools and we're going to whatever that looks like. But somehow I feel like we've brushed the side a little bit. No condemnation. All of us probably feel this way, but brush aside how important it is to model and to have a good marriage in our home for our kids, for their future marriages, just the impact it has. How do you look at it or how do you speak into that in a parenting context? Well, it, it's number one. If, if you were to identify what is the best predictor of long-term success for your kids, for them to live in a home that where, where there's a genuinely loving marriage between mom and dad, if, if, if they're poor and they go to bad schools and I mean, we can, we can just stack the deck against them. If, if mom and dad love each other and the home is a stable, secure environment that the kids feel comfortable in, that is the most um, secure root that you can plant in the, the, the heart of a child so that, if, if they have less and they miss out on the lessons that the other kids are getting and they don't get to go to summer camp like the other kids got to do, or they can't take ballet or violin lessons or whatever it is, if, if they don't have uh, uh, the, the technology that their friends have or the games that their friends have, that's, that's not going to matter 10 years from now. But if they're growing up in a home where mom and dad are loving one another and they see that and they feel secure and that's reinforced, that's huge for them and for their long-term development. So if you, if you love your kids and you say, I would do anything for my kids, here's number one, love their mommy or love their daddy extravagantly and let them see that. And that'll make a huge difference. Yeah. And I love how you just, again, we spoke into this a little bit at the beginning, but just hitting it again, love. And I, I just kind of wrote little notes out of your book, but love is a choice and love is intentional. And so taking it away from the emotion of I'm not feeling it, because frankly, again, it's COVID. There's very few things we're feeling on a real level right now, but taking those action steps. And so going back to COVID for just a second, and I know you speak to a lot of couples and teach a lot. And what do you think are some of the ramifications we're seeing from COVID in our marriages? You know, anytime there is a major disruption in a family, whether it's a personal disruption or what we're dealing with right now is, is a cultural disruption that's affecting all of us on a personal level, but it's also affecting all of us, uh, all, all of the people around us. When there's a disruption and when, when things are unstable, we all look around for something to, to stable ourselves. So we're all on unsteady ground and looking around, what can I grab onto? What, what can I hold onto to help me be stable? And, and in your home where everybody's disoriented and where our expectations have all been let down and where what we rely on as normal is not happening, we find ourselves waking up and going, I'm not even sure what day it is. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not sure what really matters anymore. And if that's just us, sometimes our spouse can kind of go, it's okay. I can, I can get you through this, but we look at our spouse and our spouse goes, I don't know the answer either. It's unsteady for me. And this is where we have to, both of us, rather than saying, well, if I can't depend on you, then I don't have anybody I can depend on. 
both of us have to say, we've got to depend on God, don't we? We've got to turn to him. We've got to find our strength. He is our rock. He is our stability in unstable times. He's who we cry out to. Rather than thinking, my spouse has let me down, we've got to say both of us are in unstable settings, and we've got to cry out to God, and he's got to be our rock here. Yeah, yeah. You have a quote in the book that I love that says, I've come to realize that when I face difficulties or struggles in life or in my marriage, God in that moment gives me the grace I need to sustain me. I might look at some, what someone else is going through and wonder if I could bear up under that kind of stress. But when the moment comes in my own life, the grace I need to be able to bear the burden is there. God gives the grace for the moment in the moment. And I think that's just such a profound word because at the end of the day, it's not all up to us as believers, as people who love the Lord. It's just such hope knowing that he will give us the strength in the moment. Now, obviously, Bob, there's got to be some submission in there and some want to and really some tough grit, but God will sustain our marriages. He will. And I think this is where we've got to cry out in those moments where we feel weak and where we feel uh, incapable. And we say, Lord, I, I need your grace. I, I need what I don't have in me today. Pour it into me. Help me be the, the, the person I need to be in this moment. Give me the strength to endure. That doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging. It just means that when you walk through the valley of the shadow, God has said, I'll be with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. So that's, that's what we're crying out for in moments like this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is such a good word. You know, I was looking at the books on my nightstand the other day and, um, and Bob, let's be clear. Most of them are unread. Okay. They just sit on my nightstand, but I was looking through the books and I realized there's a whole lot on there about parenting or individual growth, or I don't know, chase your dreams, those kind of books. And there wasn't one on marriage. And so I'm just thankful one that this is a great one, everyone that Bob has written for us, but also just thank you for, for chasing us down and caring about our marriages and encouraging us to, to do marriage well, cause it's critical. So thank you. I, th- I think all of us have get to a point in our marriage in the early years where we go, boy, um, I just don't know that there's really any hope for our marriage. I think it's going to be stuck in kind of this, this middle earth area where it's never what I wanted it to be, but it's not terrible. And we'll just kind of endure and figure, well, I guess this is all there is. And I think the Bible says there's much more than that. I think God has designed marriage to be something glorious something full of joy and full of uh, delight and desire. And I don't think we should settle for just a, a middle earth marriage. I think we should, should pursue the kind of marriage. I mean, what it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And I don't think there's any chance that we're going to experience our relationship with Christ and go, you know, this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's just, it's not <laughs> as good as it. No, this, no. our marriage is supposed to be overflowing with, joy and love and fulfillment. And I believe it can be that when we're pursuing godly love and when we're making that our goal, cultivating that in our own lives. That's such a great word for us. So the title of the book is Love Like You Mean It by Bob Lapine, The Heart of Marriage That Honors God. Is it available now in all the usual spots? All the usual spots. It's ready for order. Perfect. I will link it in podcast notes as well. Bob, thanks for being with us today. Cynthia, great to be with you. All right, friends, sweet Bob, what a nice guy. 
What you don't know is at the end of that podcast, when we were trying to finish the recording, I was trying to say his name and his book, and we taped it no less than like four times because I called him, I think it's at a Bob, I said Rob and Hob, and then I called him Lapine and Lapine, and then I missaid his book. It was really, it was really professional there, but he's a sweet guy and very gracious. I bet he's a really good husband, but I hope this podcast spoke to you. I know it did to me and just the importance of putting in those foundations, doing the hard work and what does the Bible say about it what is patience what is kindness and so all of that's a lot to think about and a lot that I need to work on I know and probably after covid we probably could all use a little dusting off in that area so thanks for being with us today I'm so thankful that you join us I'd love for you to take a minute and write a review that helps us so much on iTunes we know your days are busy so as always thank you for joining us as we pardon the mess.